many, not all, but many of my listeners think the majority of this room are lying, cheating, scumbag parasites sitting in a room with a phone and an internet connection sucking all the profit out of the load and they're doing all the work. How many of you are surprised to hear that? Shocked maybe, but not surprised. The good news is, I'm on a mission. I want to change that. And the better news is, I've got a great partner now to help me do that. Brent and I have got some awesome ideas with the, the power of truckstop.com and our reach into the owner-operator world. I want to change that. Because that's just not working. And it never has worked. So, you know, I titled this Building Relationships, and I really should have titled it Doing the Hard Work, but I thought that would have scared everybody away. Um, quick history on me, and then we'll get to the meat of this. Um, third generation owner-operator, my grandfather was an owner-operator when there were wooden benches for seats, and you measured trip from the East Coast to the West Coast in weeks, not hours or days. My father was a very frustrated owner-operator. Um, I grew up the youngest to seven, so he was trying to raise seven kids, and he'd go to work at a union carrier until he could save enough money to buy a truck, and then he'd run it until he ran out of money, and go back to being a company driver until he could save enough money. And I, I watched him struggle like that his whole life, and I think that made a big impression on him. And I, I said I was never going to be in trucking. I thought I was going to be a helicopter pilot. I went into the Army, found out I just only put in green, so I gave up on that idea. Um, and didn't know what else to do, so when I got out of 22, I bought a truck. Uh, I had never been a company driver, had no experience driving. I bought a truck and put it to work, and I had a lot more energy than smarts. Um, before I finished my first year, I bought a second truck and put a driver in it. By my fifth year, I had 11 trucks, I was running a small brokerage, and I had a service truck, and I was going broke. And I figured out, you can't keep working 100 hours a week just to break even. And I was in debt, and I knew something had to change. So I got very interested in the business and the number side of trucking. And, and I would talk to other owner-operators that had a lot more experience than I did, and I would ask them, what do you, how do you know when you're making money? And, and the answer was, you know, I can pay the bills and there's a little money in the bank left over, I'm probably doing okay. And I thought, that, that's just not the way to run a business. So I, I really, I, I sold nine of the 11 trucks, I closed the brokerage, I got rid of the service truck, I went back to driving one of my trucks full-time, and I set it up so I could drive overnight and go back to school in the day. Um, I went back to school to become a certified financial planner. I studied tax and accounting while I was running the truck. And I started to see that you really could make a lot of money with a truck if you ran it like a business. From that, I grew it into a tax and accounting business for other owner-operators. So for 20 plus years, um, I added one more truck, so I ran a, a fleet of 30 trucks for, or three trucks for 30 years. I just sold my fleet in 2012. And I also did the tax and accounting, which is why I was on the panel at that presentation. The interesting thing was, when they asked me to do that panel, my biggest fear in life was public speaking. 
I was terrified. I was sick for a week leading up to it. I didn't eat for two days before. And I thought, I can do this. All I have to do is sit on the panel behind the table. And if they ask a question about taxes, I can answer it, hopefully without passing out and hit my head on the table. But then somehow I ended up on the middle of the stage. And when Brent said I had never done that, not even close. But a couple very cool things happened that day. Since I, I wasn't ready to present anything, I was really like a deer in the headlights. I thought, see if anybody has any questions. So I asked for questions. What I learned was owner operators have lots of questions, and I learned I was pretty good at answering. So we did. We, I stayed on stage for hours, and it was, it was really a, an amazing thing for me. That same day, when I got on the plane to leave, that was at the Louisville truck shop. When I got on the plane to go back home, I was reading an article in Barron's Magazine, and it was about this new technology that wasn't out yet, but it was coming, and it was satellite radio. And I was a big talk show junkie back then, because I, I was still driving full time, um, drove a million miles before I got out and started just running the business. And I, it all kind of came together. I love talk radio. Here's this technology that's going to put a radio in a truck where you can get the same channel everywhere you go, every time you want to hear it. And I just got done answering questions for hours. And the idea was born right then that I wanted a talk show on satellite radio. That was 99, I think. Um, 2007, I finally got it. So in 2007, I went on the air, uh, April of 2007. I've been on ever since. I do about 15 hours a week between SiriusXM's uh, podcast network that I started. So I have spent thousands and thousands of hours talking to owner-operators. I, I did their taxes, their accounting, I know their numbers, I've helped them run their business, and I talk to them every day. And there's been a progression, and I want that progression to continue. And I'm gonna talk about some models in the industry and, and what I think that looks like. Before I talk a lot about what the presentation is, though, I wanna tell you what it isn't. This is not going to be the top 10 things you can do to build a relationship. I think that would be a total waste of your time. I Googled that, by the way. There's about 47 top 10 lists about how to build a relationship. And most of those things we all know anyway. So I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, you need to listen more than you talk. You need to find out about their kids and their dog and what they're interested in. We all know that stuff. We all know how to build a relationship. If that stuff worked, we wouldn't have a problem and I wouldn't be standing up here talking. So it's not about that. The way I explain this to my owner-operators, I have an event that, that I started 10 years ago for owner-operators. It, it, it's a big education thing. And 10 years ago, it was a two-day event, and I was the only speaker. And in two days, I would blow through 117 PowerPoint slides, and it was tactic after tactic after tactic, which is what I mean on the top 10 kind of stuff. People absolutely loved it. We got great reviews. And I could teach somebody a hundred ways to make more money as an owner-operator. Things like 
slow down 10 miles an hour, you'll improve your fuel mileage by a mile per gallon, that saves you $10,000 a year, you put it in your retirement account, 30 year career, retire with a million dollars. People love that stuff. But what I noticed was, we weren't getting a lot of people coming back to the event. They treated it like a seminar. They saw it once, why come back? And I wanted it to be more than that. So I, I am a huge believer in education. I'm also a big reader. So in the last 30 years doing what I do, I've read over 2,000 books on business. I average about two a week. Now in the beginning it was easier because when you drive a million miles, for those million miles, there was always an audiobook up. I was learning something every minute I was driving. But I, I continue that today, I still do a lot of reading. In fact, um, you know, I said this should be titled, Doing the Hard Work. I wish I would have made that up, but I did. And by the way, doing the hard work is very different than working hard. I know a lot of people who work really hard and don't really get great results. In fact, I think most people work really hard, but most people don't get great results. Doing the hard work is a very different concept. It comes from a book. Has anybody ever seen the movie, The Legend of Bagger Vance? Couple of you, the, the screenwriter for that book, Stephen Pressfield, wrote a book called The War of Art. Not to be confused with the art of war. Has anybody read the book, The War of Art? Probably not, it's about writing. It is probably the single book that had the most impact on, on what I do out of those 2,000. It, and it talks about doing the hard work. And if we're going to change the way we work with owner-operators in this industry, it, it's not a top 10 list that's going to do it. It's doing the hard work. The hard work is different for everybody, but I'll give you a couple clues on what it is. It's usually the thing you know you should be doing and never get around to. It's usually the thing you know you should be doing and never get around to. We can apply it to all areas of our life, our business. Um, lots of people know they should have their finances more organized. They should be saving for retirement. They never get around to it. The hard work is never urgent. It never needs to get done right now. It's never on a schedule. It's one of those things we always know we should be doing. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. How, as an industry, together, we can do the hard work and start building real partnerships between owner-operators and brokers. Because I think that is the most efficient model to move right. I can remember, like I said, I'm big on education. I attend a lot of seminars. I give a lot of seminars. And I can remember sitting in a seminar with Zig Ziglar. Anybody ever seen Zig Ziglar in person? He is just awesome, by the way, he was. Um, and he made a statement, and it, that statement had a big impact on me. And I went back through all of his material, and I can't find it anywhere. I don't know if it was one of those things that he just happened to say at, at that time, success in business. And that sounded pretty exciting, because I wanted to succeed in business. And I thought, if there's a secret, I need to know what it is. And here's what it was. The secret to success in business, any business, provide the most value you can possibly provide to your customer. That's it. Any business. Now, it's simple. It's a very simple concept. 
Provide the most value you can possibly bring to your customer and you'll succeed. And I say it's simple, but it's not easy. It's doing the hard work. When I talk to owner operators, I always use this. This is a big part of it, what I teach them. Now, once you know that, once you know that this really is, and, and by the way, I'm not sure why it's a secret, and it's kind of funny, I Googled the secret to success on Amazon and Google, and I came up with like 70,000 books. If there's so many books, why is it still a secret? But it is, because I deal with businesses all the time, and they don't know how to provide the most value they can provide to their customers. But when you do, rise to the top in your industry. So when I talk about this with owner-operators, they get that deer-in-the-headlights look. And I finally figured out why. Owner-operators, for the most part, don't even know who their customer is. When I ask them that question, they don't know who their customer is. And when you look at the supply chain and the way it works, that might be understandable. You know, we, they move freight from point to point, but many times the freight they're moving isn't from their customer. So how do we identify who our customer is? It's real simple. Your customer, when you're in business, your customer is always the one that writes the check that you cash. So when I want to have fun on my weekend show, I just open it up with something about brokers. I know it's always going to be a fun weekend when I do that. But when I call, when they call and I get those complaints, that same old tired stuff we've been hearing forever, I say, look, here's the secret to success in business. Bring the most value you can possibly bring to your customer. And then when I hear silence on the other end of the phone, I say, all right, tell me who your customer is. And many times they just don't know. And I'll say, it's the person that writes the check that you cash. Well, in this transaction, who is that? Anybody? Yeah, exactly. How many owner-operators do you work with that treat you like their best customer? Yeah, I didn't see any hands above. Uh, but on the flip side, how many of you, because there's lots of ways we can provide value to our customers, and we have to use every one of them. How many of you really treat your owner-operators as though they are the most important asset you have to provide value to your customer? That's what we need to change. That's what I want to talk about today is my data on how we do that. But it's not a quick fix. It's not a top 10 list. It really does come down to doing the hard work. And, and building partnerships and relationships. I want to talk a little bit real quick about why we are in the situation we're in. You know, when we talk about a capacity problem, it's not capacity. We could build and buy more trucks and trailers. The problem always comes down to somebody to drive those things. And that's what the real problem is. But is it surprising? Here, here is the traditional career path for a truck driver. Go to truck driving school, ride with a trainer, become a trainer, 
which usually happens in about six months. Um, we have trainers running around that haven't even been through an entire season yet. They haven't driven in the snow and they're training somebody else. That's how desperate the situations become. Quickly learn you don't want to be a trainer. Spend 30 years bouncing from company to company and still probably make less than $50,000 a year. And oh, by the way, I've read some reports that say the average lifespan for a career male truck driver is 58 years old. It's that hard, physically hard on the body. It's a very, very unhealthy lifestyle. So is there any wonder with that as the career path that we have a driver shortage? We've always haven't had a driver shortage. I don't think anybody's predicting it's going to get better anytime soon. Well, I, I think there's a better model. And it certainly isn't gonna work for everybody, but I don't care about everybody. I, I have a mission, and I've been very clear about that mission. Earlier I talked about tactics versus strategies. So my mission is kind of like my overall strategy. It hasn't changed in 20 plus years. I have a mission to make the trucking industry a better place to live and work. I've done that primarily in the owner-operator world, and I'm gonna continue doing that. And one of the ways is I like the model of come into the trucking industry however you're gonna do it. Go to a truck driving school, get your experience, whatever you need to do to drive. Although, like I said, I, I bought my truck from day one. Study and actually learn about business. Buy a truck, lease it to a carrier, learn more about business while the carrier handles all the headaches. And at some point, and, and this is really a big push for us now and a big mission, get your authority and become a carrier. I think the best way to move freight from point A to point B is a 3PL handling all the stuff, the sales and the administration and all those other things that you do, that you're good at. And I don't think there is anybody who can move freight more efficiently from point A to point B at the lowest cost with lots of advantages than a guy who owns that truck and owns the business and actually knows how to run a business. And if, if we can make that part more efficient, because that's where most of the cost is, getting the freight physically from point A to point B. And I, I'm gonna talk a little bit about some of the numbers and how that breaks out. But that's the vision I have. It, and we've been moving in that direction for a long time. Our, our market has primarily been the owner-operator leased to a carrier. And, and we teach them a lot about how to be more profitable and how to make more money. We were very successful at it. And I just think that it's the timing is finally right. I think there's technology coming into place. I think there are more resources now. And I think we can create a lot more one-man carriers. And again, I don't think anybody can move freight more efficiently from point A to point B than the guy who owns and drives the truck and trailer. There's, there's another piece to that puzzle. So I want to talk just a little bit about the numbers. I, I did a, an article on this and I got really deep into these numbers, but I don't have time to do that today. But if we look at the cost, and, and let's compare the big carrier employee driver model 
to the model I just talked about with a, a broker and a single truck owner operator. And there's lots of little variations in between. But if we look at a large carrier with employee drivers, does anybody know what the single biggest cost for a carrier is? Uh, I'll give you the top two because they flip-flop depending on fuel price. It's fuel and payroll. Cost of employees, which could include all their turnover, which they spend an absolute fortune on that. But between turnover, payroll, taxes, workers' comp, unemployment, health insurance, retirement accounts, employees are expensive. Fuel is also expensive. When fuel goes above $4 a gallon, that usually becomes the carrier's largest expense. If it's where it is today, it's usually number two, and then payroll and employees become number one. As a business, I mean, I teach this to owner-operators. As a business, you always focus on your largest expenses first if you want to be more profitable because that's where the most room to create margin is. You look at the employee driver model and the two biggest costs are in direct conflict with each other. I've been teaching fuel mileage tactics for a long time. When the average truck in the industry was getting six miles to the gallon, I designed and built a truck and trailer combination that was getting 10 miles to the gallon consistently. Not one trip here or there, 30 day averages. Now, nine miles to the gallon we could do with the tractor alone. It took the trailer to get us up over 10 to build the combination together. But with all the things I teach, hundreds of ways, actually not hundreds, I, have, I think I have a list of 72 ways to improve fuel economy in a tractor-trailer operation. That was my big focus for a lot of years. The single biggest way to improve fuel economy it's just simple physics slow down drivers hate to hear that drivers will argue with me all day long about it but it's physics it takes a certain amount of horsepower to get a vehicle moving and it takes more horsepower to get it moving faster the only way to produce more horsepower is with more fuel so if we're going to slow down and save a lot of money which the numbers i gave a little earlier Slow down 10 miles an hour, you improve fuel mileage one mile per gallon on average. That's about a $10,000 a year savings in most operations. That's one truck. That's big. So why aren't we running trucks around at 55 miles an hour? Because we wouldn't have a driver shortage, we wouldn't have any drivers. Because how do they get paid? By the mile. So if they slow down, what happens? They get less miles. So we have one cost for drivers. We have another cost, our biggest cost of fuel. They're in direct conflict. If we try to improve one, we make the other one worse. That's why that model is just not very efficient. Something, something has to change, either the way we pay them, or I think this is an easier answer. Because I can show the owner-operator why slowing down is always to his advantage. Now, it may not be that right now 55 miles an hour might not be the best optimal speed because fuel is cheap right now comparatively. But maybe 60 or 61, there's always a sweet spot. 
between making a little more time and getting in a few more miles and how much you're spending on fuel. Fuel goes above $4 a gallon. I can show it over and over and over. Slowing down and driving 55 is always more profitable. And the freight still gets delivered. And it gets delivered on time. So I think that that model is, is what I would like to see a whole lot more of. I would like to see you handling the logistics side and a really good business-oriented owner-operator moving the freight from point A to point B. Here's part of the problem on the owner-operator side. How many of you attend continuing education? How many of you attend continuing education? The rest of you just wandered in for the free food, or? That was a trick question. Of course you do, that's what we're doing. It was about 20 years ago that I did work, I said I had a small brokerage, and in the first year I worked as a broker, I went to four different events to learn how to be a better broker. Does anybody know how many educational events there are for owner-operators to learn how to be a better owner-operator? I mean, in the whole country, all year long. One. It's the one I do. It's the one I started 10 years ago. And it's been a struggle. And, you know, I loved um, Paris's example this morning of the Wright brothers being the underdog, not having any of the resources. High school dropouts. I'm not sure if you mentioned that, but they were actually high school dropouts. And then we had the, you know, physicist with all the money, all the advantages, but, but we know who won. We, does anybody even remember the other guy's name? You saw it this morning. Yeah, but we all know the Wright brothers. I kind of felt the same way right after I started my program, and I was, I was the company back then. I didn't even have any employees. When I started the program, and, and not long after, one of the large associations for owner-operators started a program just like it. And I was actually happy that they did. I, I wanted some competition. I wanted to see more people educating owner-operators. Mine is still going 10 years later. Theirs lasted two or three, and it's gone. And I, I'm not sure why. They had 180,000 members and a big office building and staff, and they had a lot of advantages. Um, so I'm kind of proud of that. But 10 years later, I'm still hoping somebody would get into the business and compete with me. Because I think it's one of those things that the more we make available to the owner-operators, the more they'll do it. And that's a big part. If we're going to make this model work, owner-operators need to know how to run a business. Wouldn't you all rather have owner-operators who knew how to run a successful business and knew their numbers? You know, Brent, in our breakout session before lunch, uh, said that 50% of owner-operators, only 50% of owner-operators know their cost per mile. Brent's an optimist. <laughs> and the people he's talking to are lying to it. 10%. I've been doing owner-operator accounting for 20 plus years, 10% of these guys actually know what their numbers are and have a profit and loss statement every month. I, I, I wrote a software program, um, and, and it's, we call it 
It's just like QuickBooks for owner-operators. It's an online accounting program specifically designed primarily for the guy with one to 10 trucks. It, it's a small, very small carrier accounting program for them. And I'm ecstatic that I have 4,000 users on that program. I, I should have, I, and there aren't that many of those programs out there. Most of the ones that are out there, I've reviewed them all for years, they kind of suck. Uh, I'm a little biased in that, but I mean, I, I really thought I should have 10 or 15 or 20,000 users by now. The people that do use software and accounting and track their numbers make significantly more money than the people who don't. Those are numbers we've tracked for a lot of years. Now, if the owner-operators you're working with are more profitable because they know how to run a business and they know their numbers, are they going to be a much better partner for you? Because the biggest complaint I hear from owner-operators is that you're sucking all the profit out of the load and they're doing all the work. No matter what, um, they feel like they lose. Are there ever loads that you move and you have no profit in? Does it happen once in a while? Do you know the owner-operator that moved the load thinks you screwed him anyway? I hear it constantly, and, and that's what has to change. And that's a big part of what I've been doing. We're going to continue doing that, and uh, we kind of want to make you more of a part of that. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. So by the way, when, um, when I asked the question, how many of you attend continuing education? I was really hoping everybody was gonna raise their hand, but you were sleeping or I'm not sure what. But I have another question for you. If you did raise your hand, why? Somebody tell me why they raised their hand. To learn. <clears throat> What's that? To learn. It's no, I didn't ask you why you're here. As to why you raised your hand. Does my arm hurt? <laughs> oh, well, that's probably one of the better answers. <laughs> now, I didn't preface that question by saying, if this is true for you, raise your hand, did I? I just asked a question. Why do we raise our hand when somebody asks a question and our answer is affirmative? It's a conditioned response. We've been conditioned our whole life. When the person in the front of the room asks a question, you raise your hand. Part of the problem I see in communication between owner-operators and brokers, and I watch, I watch this happen all the time, it's all conditioned responses over and over and over. And that's why things aren't changing. I want to start changing the way owner-operators and brokers communicate. So think about that as you go through your day and, and be on the lookout for those kind of conditioned responses. Things you do, we don't even know why we do them anymore. It's just a response to some sort of stimulus. So I asked the question in the uh, last breakout session. I asked brokers specifically that work with a lot of owner operators of the owner-operators you work with at any given time, how many of them have you met in person? 
The first person that answered said they work with hundreds of owner operators every month and they have met zero at one. I ask this to owner operators all the time, but I think we need to work harder at this from both sides. And I'm not saying we need to meet everybody we put a load on their truck, but to think that your biggest asset to move that freight and you do it hundreds of times a month and you've never met one of them? Or I would venture to say that if we pulled everybody in the room for everybody, it would be a very, very small percentage. And I think we need to work harder at that. You know, we talk about technology and how technology is this great communication. We have all these ways now to communicate. We have text message and Facebook and Instagram. We all know what they are. We have all these ways to communicate. But technology will never help you build the relationship. It will only help you enhance the relationship. I am a huge believer in technology. I love the way we can communicate. My company now is completely virtual. I spend six months of the year in the Columbia River Gorge in Oregon. I absolutely love it there. And I spend six months of the year in a coach because after driving a million miles and then not doing it, I miss it. So I spend six months of the year um, in a vehicle that was larger than the truck I used to drive. We have a 45-foot coach and a 28-foot enclosed car hauler. And I have my studio in there. I can do my show from the road. I can work from the road. That's because of technology. I don't have any employees that work in an office. I have employees in seven states. They all work at home. So technology is, our whole business is based on communicating by technology, and I love that. But we have to build the relationship first. And I, I just really think that only happens face to face. How many of you have ever been in the situation where you've been dealing with somebody a long time on the phone? I do it all the time. I mean, this industry is just one giant industry for the whole country. So in all the partnerships and all the companies I work with, it almost always starts on the phone. But when I finally get to meet that person, the relationship changes. Don't you have that same experience? Doesn't the relationship get better? I mean, even if you've been talking to somebody a long time, you guys talk a lot, you know each other, you know a lot about each other, everything changes when you get to spend some time face to face. I tell owner operators constantly, instead of chasing rates, instead of, I, I, again, I, I have the advantage of seeing the numbers. It is not unusual for us to do a tax return for an owner operator client and we have 70 or 80 1099s, and the 1099 is the document that a broker might give to them to show all the revenue that they got paid that year. If they have 70 or 80 1099s, that means that 70 or 80 brokers they worked with this year. I've had some guys up in the 150 range. Now, if you're working with 70 or 80 or 100 brokers, you're not building a lot of relationships. There's no time. You're chasing a rate is all you're doing. So when I talk to them, I, I, I give them one thing they could do that would probably move them into the top 1%. I say, instead of constantly chasing these rates, why don't you sit down 
identify a couple areas in the country that you really like to run to and from and between, identify some freight that you like, and then go find the brokers that are in those areas and have that freight. Once you identify who they are, why not take them for coffee or lunch? Actually show up at their office. Maybe call ahead of time and schedule it, but show up. Go spend some time with them. How many of you would, would think that would be a good idea if your, an owner-operator actually came to you and, and built that relationship face-to-face? -face? Yeah. I think that moves them into the top 1%. And if they were to do that and build really solid relationships with three to five brokers around the country, and sure, you can fill in once in a while when you need to. That's the beauty of the technology. There's always more available. But I try to tell them you've got to focus on building those partnerships. And I think it needs to be done in person. So I want you to think about from your side of the transaction, how could you make that easier? How could you make that happen more often? One of the people in my last session said that one of their big customers literally right across the street. So when he has owner operators coming in to pick up those loads, he makes it a point to go over there and meet them. I thought that was outstanding. I hardly ever see that happen. But I think if we had more of that, we would build better relationships. Now, that's the kind of thing that we would define as the hard work. Because I have a feeling most of you are pretty busy all day long, aren't you? You're busy trying to find trucks to move freight. You're so busy trying to find trucks to move freight that we don't have time to go build the relationship that would make it easier to find trucks to move freight. But that's how the hard work always works. I gave the example of money. If you sit down and actually take control of your finances, I used to work as a certified financial planner only with owner-operators, if you actually take the time to do the hard work to get your finances organized and, and have a plan to invest, then it's a whole lot easier to manage your money and you have more money to manage. It's the same thing here. If you take time to build those assets and those partnerships, it won't be as hard. You won't be running around trying to find tough